I invite you to open in your Bibles with me this morning to Romans chapter 14, where we will look at the text that God has put before us this morning. Romans chapter 14, where we're going to discover uh, two different kinds of people, two different characters, as it were, in this text of Scripture. And we're going to take a look at those people. Last week, we began by looking at living in Christian liberty and uh, what that meant and, and how we built up to it from Romans chapter 1 through this chapter, chapter 14, and, and just the good reminders that we need of where we've come from and how, if by God's grace we are a believer, how do we get here? And so that we may never forget where others are or where we once were or what are our inclinations still. And so we come to this text with that with that foundation, that truth that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And our, all of our life, all of our, our actions that we produced out of our nature only deserve death and wrath and punishment. And it was only by the grace of God, nothing that we deserved or ever earned, only by grace, that Christ came, stood on our behalf, and gave us life afresh, life that would be transformed and renewed after his own likeness, all of this by grace. And we always remember that because of the foundation of uh, who we are, where we are, and how that ought to impact us, and think about how it impacts others. Remember, our life is not just individual. We are not just called to the body of Christ to be ourselves. We are called to the body of Christ to be with one another, to serve one another, to love one another in all unity. And so that's what we want to do. And as we read every text of Scripture, we don't just read it for ourselves. We often, we neglect the fact that we should be reading it saying, how does this apply to me in the body? How does this help me live with other Christians, and specifically, as we've been, uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14, we're thinking about how does it um, help me to live in my Christian liberty, as we looked last week, my Christian freedoms, uh, with other people who have their Christian freedoms. We ought to live with them and live with ourselves in light of what God has done. And this morning, we're going to see two different types of characters in the text of Romans 14. And we're going to do some character study because uh, I feel like if you're anything like me, there's a natural inclination that you have when you approach Romans chapter 14 as a text and you almost draw back from one of these characters. And I want to just take some time for us to look at these two characters uh, together. So let me read the text of Romans 14 for us together. This is Romans 14, God's word. Let's hear it. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who, dis- who, oh, sorry, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The one person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, 
eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to his God while the one uh, who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, let each of us give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, do not let what you regard as good be spoken as of evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves the Lord is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for everyone to make another person stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let me just read the next part, too, from 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we want this to ring true of us. We want to hear what you are saying to us this morning. We want to live for your glory. We want to live in unity for your glory. So would you help us to approach this text this morning, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to be receptive to what you have to say into our lives and how we might live what you have spoken here this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
So this chapter is chapter 14 and into 15. I think that section into 15 really kind of is a great summary of the chapter. That's why I included it. But here we have uh, in 14, you'll see two different characters, right? Two different types of people. Well, the original context, as we know, in the Roman church was there would have been some uh, Christians who had become Christians out of the Jewish faith, right? And those who still held on to many of their family traditions that really took shape into their faith and their way of life. But also they would have held on to some of the laws and thought, this is the way that I please God. And so there was these who were the Jewish Christians. And here uh, they're actually described as those who are, are weak in the faith. And so here we see the two characters, the weak and the strong. Right away, we have a repulsion to the idea of the weak and say, no, 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 I don't want to be counted as the weak. We see the term weak as describing someone we don't want to be. Most people don't want to be weak or be seen as weak. So when we come to a text that says there is a weak person and a strong person, we want to be the strong one. And of course, it is good to be the strong one, and especially even in this context, because we know, uh, as we will look, this context is those who are weak in the faith and those who are strong in the faith. And so we want to be the strong ones, but yet, though we may want that and desire it as a good inclination, it doesn't mean that you are not or have never been or never will be the weak one in this text. According to the definition here, we must be careful not to just hear this text and count out everything that is said to the weak person or just assume that you are the strong person or because you want to be the strong one, read it through strong eyes. We we don't want to approach this text not hearing what God has to say to us on both ends of the spectrum. You and I both have been weak in the faith and we will be weak in the faith at given times in our life and given uh, times in our walk, not in the, in the same way necessarily that these, uh, this original audience was, the, the Jews here, but in, in many different ways. Uh, we've often been weak in our faith. If, if you have ever been discouraged in your faith, if you have ever doubted your salvation, if you've ever wondered if God would still love you if, if you've ever thought there's no way God can keep loving me because, then that's weakness. In the faith is weakness in the trust that God has given to us. This idea of faith here being weak in faith is being weak in uh, assurance, weak in um, conviction. In, In one sense, it's so funny because as we approach this chapter, you'll see that the ones who are described as weak are actually the very strong personalities. They are the ones who are the strong, as you would say, conservatives. So they seem to have a strong faith. And yet, the strong in this passage would be the more uh, liberal in their faith, but not liberal in a bad sense, but just more uh, free. They, they understand their Christian liberty, and they're living in it. And so they seem to most like, oh, they're weaker in the faith. They don't have a strong conviction. So it seems like a weak conviction versus a strong conviction is opposite of who these people are. But here, the weak in faith are the ones who are weak in their assurance, Their assurance is not a solid rock. It's not steadfast. That's because they are trusting in something else as a peace. Here, the person described as weak in the faith and the strong in the faith in this passage, they're both believers. 
They're both brothers and sisters in the faith. This does not, even though they believe certain things, it does not count them out from the kingdom of God. That's really important to know. Uh, Even as we think about disagreements that Christians have today and convictions that Christians have today, it, it doesn't count you out of the faith if you are weak in it, as described here. And so here it says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, weak in assurance is what I said. So what does that mean, that one would be weak in assurance? Well, if you are trusting as these were in following the food ceremonies or following uh, the, the day, you know, you have to keep this day and you have to keep that festival, then what happens if you don't? What happens if you, if you screwed up and you ate the wrong thing that was ceremonially unclean? Then what? Is God not pleased with you? Well, that's what they felt. That's what they were convicted of. They, they felt they were dishonoring God by the thing they did. And that God would not be pleased with them. That God would not welcome them. That they were all about being welcomed in the presence of God. And they were basing that welcome on some things they did. Yes, Jesus. They believed in Jesus wholeheartedly. They were brothers and sisters. They knew that the only way to to God and a repaired relationship with God was through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. By trusting Him with their life and their taking care of their sin problem and giving them uh, the Holy Spirit that they knew that. That's what they believed. But yet, they were still plagued with the idea of, based on what I do, is kind of determining whether I'm welcoming God's presence at this moment or in time. I have to keep this or I'm not welcomed. And so that's why they're weak in their faith. They're weak in their trust. They don't trust God enough in the gospel. The gospel says it's Jesus. It's only Jesus by faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. And so then when you are even tainted by this other things that you trust in, you have a weakness of your faith. It doesn't eliminate your faith. And we have that too. You know, we've been weak in our faith when we think that if I have done this thing, God won't love me anymore. You're weak in your trust of the gospel. Because the gospel says that it's not what you've done, but it's what Christ has done. And so when we doubt, uh, you know, our, our assurance in God, when we have trusted in faith and we live by faith, and then we begin to doubt, we are, as described here, as those who are weak in faith or weak in assurance, weak in certainty. And then there are those, obviously, on the opposite end of the spectrum who are strong in their, uh, in their salvation. They're strong in their assurance. And they're strong in it because they trust heavily that is faith they trust in the gospel so that's why in this passage um, the strong are presented as those who are more mature those who have grown up that's why we have an inclination to want to be the strong one here because we know it's good it's good for those because they have a stronger trust in what god has done uh, for us eternally and so it's a good thing to be strong in this passage so the, the weak here then seem to have a conviction that limits them. And that's how they are viewed from the strong. Like those people over there have a limiting conviction. There, and there are believers today that you can think of that have what you might say is very limiting convictions. You, you might see someone who, who is convicted um, that, you know, women are not to wear pants, that that's improper. 
And so you might think, like, what a limiting conviction. Or, you know, you might come into a brother or sister in Christ who, you know, feels that from 1 Corinthians that a head covering is to be worn as a sign of submission. And you might think, what a weak or what a restricting, what a limiting conviction. I, I feel much freer. But then on the opposite end, there's this liberating conviction on the other end, which if it's not harnessed, both ends, if it's not within the bounds of, of, of community even in guarding us from the deceitfulness of sin, we're going to go off the rails either way into legalism or licentiousness. If you are those who are in the... In the um, here is described as weaker, so like really like, hey, if I don't wear that certain piece of clothing, God's not welcoming me here in this place. That's weakness in your faith. You don't trust the gospel if you believe that. Uh, but that also then could lead towards legalism. It is then placing your conviction on someone else when it's not scriptural. It's not there. You cannot be the conviction and lord it over someone else. And on the opposite end, those who feel a license and a freedom in their Christian liberty to wear what they want and do as they please, they could so easily go off the rails and start dabbling with sinfulness, thinking, well, I'm just free. But as we know, and that's why we did the foundation for Romans 1 uh, up till now, is because, as we know, Romans 6 forbids that. Romans 5, 4, they all forbid it. Do you think you can just sin because you're under the gospel? No, by no means. That, that just undermines what God has done for you in Christ. And so here you have these two characters, the weak or the one who has weak assurance because it's based on things they do or don't do. And then the strong, they have strong assurance because it's in Christ alone. But they both have pitfalls. There's both warnings and both uh, things that they need to be aware of in themselves. They both have responsibilities in this passage, which we will look at this morning. Things that, uh, it, it, what I love about this passage is it doesn't just point to the weak and say, hey, be like the strong. Instead it says, you know, in your faith, in your convictions, you ought to be convicted. And it gives some warnings there. But then in, to the strong, to those who feel more uh, liberated, they, they are living in their Christian liberty, more free to make um, d- decisions, it says you also ought to be very, very careful. So what then are the weak and what are the strong called to do? And again, as we go through, I'm just using the, the, the words of the text, the weak and the strong, don't count yourself out. Just because you want to be the strong one, don't say, well, I'm not the weak one. And I don't struggle with anything the weak one does. I guarantee you do. And I guarantee you struggle on the strong end too. Uh, Because you, as much as you might be in your own little Christian bubble, if you were to get out of that, you're going to realize, whoa, my convictions are way different than that guy over there. Um, He seems really liberal. Or, whoa, they seem really legalistic. And so you're going to fall on that spectrum somewhere uh, if, if you get one second outside your own bubble. Um, even within your own bubble, you might find there is this fluidity. And that is part of the Christian liberty. Again, this text tells us that all of these people are believers. But yet there is a freedom for them to have a conviction of sorts. These here obviously had the, the weakened face. Those who were um, looking more to the things they could do, they were trusting in what they would eat. They didn't want to displease God by what they ate. And so they were doing what they knew. They knew the law, and so, but they were convicted to the law and said, we can't eat 
that meet, or we can't uh, meet on those days. We must meet on these days or that. And then the strong here just felt liberated, like, well, we can eat whatever we want. You see that even in uh, verse, um, verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And so there's one who feels that like he's free to eat whatever he wants. He can eat pork. But there's one who feels like, no, I, I can't do that. My, my faith, my religion forbids that. I can't do that. If I do that, God's not going to welcome me or be pleased with me. And we see this, you know, it, we have modern day examples of this too, right? So you have Christians who think that it's acceptable to drink alcohol. Others who say, no, you're not to drink alcohol um, in any sense outside of the Lord's Supper. And so you have that spectrum of opinions that we're free to have within the Christian faith, but yet um, what we are not free to do is judge another person's position on it. Uh, and that's what this text tells us this morning. Really, what we're going to see here is the point of the text is unity for the glory of God. So what then are these called to do? What are It is important for us to know because wherever you think you are now, you might not be in a month on this, on this spectrum that I talked about. So the week. Let's just look at the week for a second. Those who um, sometimes are, we'll just say more conservative. Because if you don't want to be counted as the weak, just think of yourself as more conservative. These ones are saying, well, no, no, I don't do that because I don't think it'll please God. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, as this text says, if you're convicted that way, just live that conviction. But here we'll start by looking at the warnings and the, the, um, the way of living that a weak should um, have. So first, there's to the conservative, those who are weak, according to this text, they're warned against judging. Look at verse 3. And let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Here's to the weak. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. And then again in verse 10, look down there. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? So there is an inclination for those who have tighter restrictions in their life and their convictions are tighter and more conservative, they are inclined to be judgmental, to judge other people. I don't know if that's ever been you. If you've ever looked at another Christian and thought down upon them because of something they do, here, you have to ask yourself, why am I judging them? Are they not free to do such a thing? And it's really hard because... Obviously, where you are, you're convicted of, and you think this is the right position. And so to allow anyone more of a liberal position is hard. And, and you want to just cast judgment on them and say, clearly they don't love God. Look at the way they're dressed. I don't know if you ever thought that. Or, or clearly they don't love God. Have you ever heard them swear? Clearly they don't love God. Do you know what this is or that is? That, that's hard. The person who is uh, more tightly convicted and has more guardrails in their own life, but that can be an indication of a weakness of faith. You're not trusting God as much. You're, you're more trusting your convictions and the, well, I better do right by this or else God's not going to love me or welcome me or whatever. But those who are of more conservative position are prone to judge because those other people partake in activities that they are convicted or are absolutely wrong. They think they're improper. 
Look again at verse 3. Let the one, second half of it, let the one who abstains, so the one who says, no, I won't do that. Let the one who abstains, uh, um, don't let them not, sorry, let not the one who abstains pass judgment. So do not pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. The one that you are judging for what they're wearing or what they're watching or the conviction they have in their church to have that kind of loud music or whatever, that person is welcomed by God. So therefore, we have no right to not welcome them. Do we think that we're above God? That we have a more, uh, a more pure scale of right and wrong than God? If God has welcomed this person as they are in their convictions and their liberty, their freedom to choose to drink alcohol and, and not be drunk, we know that that's, again, a cliff that you can jump off of really quick into sinfulness. But to drink alcohol in moderation, if you think, oh, wow, they are in utter sin and you're judging them for it you have to stop yourself because god hasn't judged them for it and who are you are you above god to judge them do you sit above god you have a better sense of right and wrong than god oftentimes those who hold more conservative positions when passing judgment they actually sometimes take on the role of determining whether a person will stand in the day of judgment they'll think that person is not saved based on a conviction they have or based on a life they live. Now, again, this is a very fine line and it's really hard because uh, we know that there are, you know, sinful, repeated, unrepentant actions that do prove a person is not belonging in Christ. And our job is to snatch them from the fire. So it's really hard because you think, well, how is this snatching or how is this not judging? It's really a difficult road to walk. But there's a way in which to walk it. And here it says, not in judgment. Not in judgment. Because God has welcomed them. We don't get to determine if that person is saved or not because of their conviction. Well, those who, who don't do this are definitely not Christians. Those who don't wear skirts or don't go to church. Seventh-day Adventists, Right? They would never say that those of us who go to church on a Sunday um, are not believers, but they do cast judgment on those who don't, according to them, practice the Sabbath, like on a Saturday, according to them. But there are some then who do say, you know, if you, if you don't wear a head covering, you're going to hell. And if you don't wear a skirt, you're going to hell. And if you don't read this Bible translation, you're not saved. And if you have drums in your church, that's not, that's demonic. And that is casting judgment on a conviction and saying, it's trying to determine whether a person is going to stand before the judgment seat of God or not. But the job of judge is God Almighty, not us. Romans 14, 4 says it. Who are you, look it, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. If he is a believer and God has welcomed him, God will make him stand and you have nothing to do with it. And so because of that, because you can entrust people to God's judgment, you don't judge them. There is nothing wrong with expressing your convictions, holding your own convictions. It is wrong to judge another person for theirs. 
absolutely wrong because you try to uh, usurp God. You say, my judgment is clearly uh, more intact here or more right. He says, welcome them, verse 3, and then don't pass judgment on them, verse 4. God is able to make them stand. The strong in this text stand not because they're strong and, and strong in their assurance. That, that's not their strength. Their strength is the Lord. He, it says at the end of verse 4, He will uphold them. He will make them stand. So the, the, the warning against the weak, the warning against those who are more conservative, those who sometimes are prone to maybe trust in secondary things, doesn't mean they're not a believer, but they start to feel like God doesn't love them if they do this thing or have done that thing. They begin to question God's love for them based on their doings and not doings. That is a lack of trust in the gospel. These people, often more conservative people, are prone to judgment. We're prone to judge other people. And here there's a stark warning. Don't judge others. God is judged over them. And then to the strong, which we should be, right? And so here's the, here's the thing. We're aiming to be strong in the faith. We want to have a strong assurance in the gospel. And we want to be able to live in light of our Christian liberty. We are free to be free, Galatians says. So we're free to make decisions and have convictions we're free to have opinions on, on a plethora of things. Again, we know that that, and that's why I did foundation last week, we know that there's limits. We know that there is sinfulness. We know that there is not the sky is the limit, right? And so within that framework, we still have so much freedom in our Christian life. And that is where we can be strong in the faith, that we just trust Jesus. And we trust that he has saved me based on his merit not on my own. And my salvation is certain and secure because he accomplished it. It is finished. And now I live in freedom, being transformed by him after his own likeness, wanting to be like him in every way, realizing that comes with some freedoms to live differently than another person, to, to hold uh, different convictions. Like here in this text, feeling free to eat whatever he wants, to drink wine, to wear whatever he wants, to worship on whatever day he determines is best. And so this is the strong. And what he is encouraged to do, this strong he or she is encouraged to do, is they are uh, summed, summoned to accept the weak. Look at verse 1. And for the one, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. So it's talking to the strong here. When you're, when you're looking at the weak in faith, your job, you are summoned to welcome him, to accept him. That's amazing. So these are the people who feel more free in their faith. They, they feel more liberal, not in a bad sense, but more liberal with their choices. And they're, they're summoned to accept those who are more conservative, who are, you know, as some people slag as fundamentalists. Uh, I've been... And, that's the beauty of the, the whole idea of where are you on the spectrum. By some people, I'm really liberal. But by other people, I'm a fundamentalist. And so if people think I'm a fundamentalist, their job is to welcome me. If people think that I am uh, too liberal, their job is to not judge me. Right, you see? Their job first here, it says in verse 1, is to welcome the one who is uh, here in this text. They're more constrained by their convictions. They won't eat certain things. They have to observe certain days as holy. 
still. And the job of the, the more liberal one, the person who feels a little more free in their convictions, their job is to welcome that person even in their convictions. Welcome them. Let them be a uh, refusing pork. Let them do that. Don't cast judgment on them for it. And the second, the second thing that the person who is more liberal in some of their beliefs is, is to not, they're exhorted to not despise that other person. Not to despise them. Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats, so obviously the one who feels free to eat whatever meat he wants, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And then again in verse 10. Why do you despise your brother? Those who are more liberal are inclined to mock those who are more conservative. Those who they see as confined. Those who they seem at, see as trapped. Those who are more liberal. Those who are more free in their Christian liberty. They tend to maybe mock those who are more conservative. They, they find it difficult to grasp why these people bind themselves when they don't need to anymore. Why do they constrain themselves to that belief? Why do they do it? And because it seems irrational to them, in light of the gospel, it seems like you're free to do that. That doesn't affect your salvation. It's not sinful. Come on, you're free. So it seems irrational for them to hold on to a rule. So because it seems irrational... And they're so strongly uh, convicted this other way, they often belittle the conservative. They belittle the one who is maybe weaker in their assurance. And so that's the thing. Think about that for a second. Just someone who's weaker in the faith. If their assurance is based upon the fact that they feel like, oh, God won't love me if I wear a, a pair of pants as a woman. God, I, they, they really are literally convicted of that. You over here who are convicted, and you've been convicted for 30 years, that you are free to wear pants. Don't belittle them. Come alongside them. Love them. Let them be free to in that conviction. Because that's the thing. is The whole idea of Christian liberty is liberty. So don't place more constraints on them. Don't put them into a box where you are despising them, belittling them, and mocking them. It's wrong. Your job is to welcome them and not despise them. It's amazing that this happens in the Christian church all the time. And even, so beyond that, you have the super conservative examples, right? Where you have the skirts and the head coverings. There's nothing wrong with those. But then you also have people who are more Sabbatarian. Uh, and you can get that whole range within a, a single congregation. People who think more about the Sabbath, more about Sunday. You know, what is allowed and what is not allowed on the Sunday. You know, if you grew up 100 years ago, no store was open. And some of you may still hold on to that and say, no, that's a conviction. Like, that, that's wrong that you should shop on a Sunday. It's wrong that you should make anyone work on a Sunday. That's wrong. And that would be a, a stronger conviction. That would be a, um, here, a more conservative. They want to abstain from work on a Sunday. And then you have those who say, man, I like my, that's a great shopping day is Sundays. Uh, and I, yet I can still honor the Lord with my Lord's day. I still give him my time and, and my resources but yet I, I don't feel convicted when I go shopping on a Sunday. And so you have that. That is a very real example that exists within people you know uh, are more convicted one way or another. What is acceptable for work on a Sunday? Are you compelled to be at 
at a place of worship every single Sunday. And if you're not there, is God still pleased with you? Many people, they feel bad, right? Not going to church on a Sunday because they somehow think it's going to affect God's view of them. Of course, we want to be gathered uh, on the Lord's day with the Lord's people under biblical teaching because, not because God's going to be more pleased with us or not pleased with us if we're not there, but because we want to grow in our likeness of him. And the place to do that is among God's people gathered uh, for God's worship. And so we go and we gather on a Sunday, not because God won't love us if we don't, but because we love God. And so there is really a, a, a huge flex in that understanding, even among our own minds sometimes, is a real, a real struggle. But the problem with the difference of opinions on things like that, of, of the Sabbath, of drinking alcohol, of what to, what's acceptable to wear, um, all these sorts of things, it's, it's really devastating when we don't abide by Romans 14 and we do not welcome those who are different than us. And we do judge or we do uh, despise and belittle others. And here's the thing. I guarantee you, you are guilty of all these things as I am. Maybe not in a humongous degree, but we're often very concerned about people who are differently convicted than we are. Um, and, it's, and it's okay because you have a conviction. And that's, this text also allows that in your Christian liberty... It, it tells us that you ought to do what you think you ought to do. The only thing you're to do is what you think is right. Look at the very uh, last verse of this chapter. Um, Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, uh, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you are convicted, that faith, your, your convictions before God, the things you trust in, if, if that... If what you're doing doesn't proceed from your convictions, it's wrong. And so it's good to be convicted. It's good to have strong convictions and opinions, but it's not right to place those on other people when God doesn't. When God welcomes them to have a different opinion, it is wrong of you to place your opinion on them and and say, you must. So obviously, it's interesting because to hear that, some people might say, well, then you can't shove Christianity down my throat. Well, that's outside the bounds of this conversation. This conversation is between people who already believe the gospel together. It is absolutely right and loving to tell people outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that they are wrong and their convictions are wrong and they need to be um, in line with the Lord Jesus or else they're not going to heaven. That's necessary and it's loving and it's not judgmental. It's just truth. It's hard pill to swallow, and it's hard because people don't want to accuse us of being too judgmental or whatever. But it's, it's different than this conversation here, so don't confuse the two. This is between believers who have this, the liberty, the freedom in Christ to make choices. Um, choices of conviction about their diet, about what laws they are seemingly following or not following. What does the law of the love of Christ look like for you and for me? And then what does your obeying the command look like, right? Like we, have the, we all have the command, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, one of you might be convicted that that means you get on a plane and you go. If that's your conviction, if you don't get on a plane, you're sinning. But if your conviction is to you, that means that 
You are to equip and empower people to go for the gospel. You are to go to your neighbors. You are to um, encourage and resource people who go where you cannot go. Then you do it. But none of us is exempt from the command at all. But we have the freedom within that command to say, I'm obeying it. But it might look different than you obeying it. The problem is when we judge other people, when we don't welcome them, and when we despise them. The goal in the Christian church is unity. Unity. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He mentions nothing there of your opinions. But he mentions the unity in the gospel. You are side by side for the faith of the gospel. You stand with brothers and sisters who are vastly different than you, but they are brothers and sisters nonetheless. You stand with them for the gospel. That's why I love, I go to a conference every two years called Together for the Gospel. And it is people from uh, various denominations. So we have many, many, many opinions in that room. Last time I went, there was 12,000 people there. And there is probably 12,000 opinions there on a single topic. But we are there together for the gospel. That's what the conference was created about, is to encourage one another in the faith, to stand side by side for the faith of the gospel, for the ministry of the gospel. That's your job. That's my job, is unity. And you see that, as, um, as was mentioned at the end when I read that section from, uh, 15, from chapter 15, it talks about our unity. Uh, verse 2, let each of him please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then again, um, where was it there? Uh, verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you and do it for the glory of God. The heart of both of these characters in Romans chapter 14 is right. Both of their heart, both of their desires is they want to do what glorifies God. Look at verse 6. The one who observes the day, so that is the, in this text, the weaker in the faith, the more conservative they think you have to worship on Saturday, the, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, that's the one who feels more free. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to the God, to God. They do it for the glory of God. And that is why you welcome them and you work with them. It's because th even though they are vastly different than you, hold a different opinion than you, they have the same goal as you. That God gets the glory from their lives and their convictions and their faith and what that faith journey looks like and that, that weakness and that strength. But again, in every area, you're going to have both strengths and your weaknesses. But we all ought to have the same goal. Unity in the faith of the gospel in the glory of God. With one voice, chapter 15, verse 6 said, with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And because of this, we abound in grace. We abound in grace and understanding. We despise not. We don't just mock and, and belittle people. And we judge not. We don't say that they are wrong and that God has not welcomed them. But I'll finish with this, Ephesians 4. Rather, it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head, from whom the whole body is joined together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each one is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray. Father, we pray that this would be our heart, this would be our desire, that we would strive for unity amidst diversity. Obviously, we know that there is bounds around that. Let us never get caught up in the fact that there is bounds when it comes to sinfulness, in licentiousness, and sinfulness and legalism. We know that. But within the Christian liberty we have, we pray that we would have unity that we would have grace upon grace, that we would recognize that those who have different convictions of us do it for your glory, and we ought to celebrate that and, and not trap them because of our opinion or our conviction. Let us not cause others to stumble, as it says here in your word too, in verse 13. Help us then to live with one another as welcoming as you have welcomed us. We want to do this for your glory and we need your help in it. We pray in Christ's name, amen.